Stocks are just following the beat and the beat goes higher. How much longer are investors willing to climb the walls of worry? It's report card time for public companies as earnings season shifts into high gear. What, if anything, can companies tell us about the future? Worries about a contested U.S. presidential election continue to fester. We'll take a little history lesson to see how this has played out before. And asset rotation is happening beneath our feet. Where the big money's moving and why. What time is it? It's showtime, and you're on the Investopedia Express, and I'm your host, Caleb Silver. Speaking of showtime, a shout out to the world champion Los Angeles Lakers and Seattle Storm of the NBA and WNBA, and a shout out to professional basketball and its players unions for managing to pull off a very entertaining season in the bubble amid the pandemic. Corporate and government leaders can learn a lot from what they manage to do while keeping everyone safe. Let's hit some big stories to kick off the week. It's earnings season at last. Time to open up the report cards from the third quarter and see who is able to capitalize on the recovery and what corporate executives have to say about the next few months. This week, big banks start the show with results coming from BlackRock, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and Wells Fargo, just to name a few. With interest rates hugging zero, it's a tough time to make margins if you're a lender. On the other hand, there's a ton of borrowing going on and a lot of trading. These banks know how to make money, but they've also been storing up billions of dollars in loan loss provisions just in case we double dip into another recession. We'll be listening to their comments on how healthy they think we are. It's a big week for two big companies as Apple and Amazon take center stage. Apple is giving the first look at the iPhone 12 in an event called High Speed on October 13th. We'll see the iPhone 12, probably an iPhone 12 mini, an iPhone 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max. We may even see some AirPod Studios over-ear headphones as Apple finally puts its acquisition of Beats to work. The iPhone 12 is Apple's phone built for the 5G world everyone keeps talking about, and demand for this latest version is said to be strong, especially with the holiday season coming up. Like it or not, Apple sales and forecasts have a tendency to move the whole market. Investors may remember January of 2018 when Apple missed sales targets and blamed weakness in China due to the trade war. Shares of Apple fell into a correction down more than 10%, taking the entire stock market with it. Remember, Apple, along with Microsoft, are the two most widely held stocks in mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, individual portfolios, and pension funds. As they go, so goes the market. <laughs> And who's laughing now? That's Jeff Bezos, Amazon's CEO and his famous guffaw. He's laughing because Amazon Prime Day, its blockbuster shopping event, is kicking off on October 13th around the world, and it's a two-day event this time. Some forecasters think Amazon could generate as much as $10 billion in the period, topping last year's $6 billion haul. Consider this. Amazon accounts for some 40% of all online sales in the U.S., and we've been doing a fair amount of online shopping this year. Consumer spending has been remarkably strong amid the pandemic, and with the holidays coming up, Amazon is primed for profit-making. If you hadn't noticed, asset flow has been shifting inside the capital markets as the election nears and more signs of the recovery are starting to appear. Let's go inside the money flow with Investopedia's James Chen, our head of trading and investing education. Welcome back to The Express, James. Thanks so much for having me again, Caleb. Sentiment has been strong for equities, no doubt about it, but the strength is coming from small caps and from value stocks lately, which is very, very different. What's that telling us? Well, first of all, I would hesitate before calling this a full sector rotation, as many have been calling it lately. What we're seeing here is that for the past few weeks, we've seen a pullback for tech and growth stocks and a move into value and dividend stocks. And simultaneously, 
we've seen a move into small cap stocks. So yes, there, there are two different things going on there. First of all, the move into small caps is telling me that there's more risk appetite there on the part of investors. So we're looking towards more risk, but at the same time, the move towards value and dividend stocks is telling me that there's a move towards safety. Tale of two markets with some investors embracing that risk for small caps, which usually participate in a recovery and they haven't really been playing along, but the value, the dividend stocks for those investors looking for those safe havens right now, given how far we've come in the equity markets. Fascinating. What about volatility, James? It was screaming a few weeks ago. It's kind of a little bit elevated now. What's it telling us right now if you're looking at the VIX and what does it look like to you going forward? Well, I've been looking at the VIX for quite some time, and it looks like we're on a, a somewhat of a higher plateau than prior to the pandemic. So, you know, I would say that sort of line in the sand would be around the 23 level on the VIX. And I don't see us going anywhere below that, at least before the election, but probably far into the future, that we are on a higher plateau. And we are looking at higher volatility levels in the market as of now. For our listeners, when we're talking about higher volatility, when we're talking about the VIX, right? The fear index, this is gauging the options activity, people betting on the future direction of the market. So when you say higher plateau, James, we're talking about historically high plateau, high levels for the volatility index relative to normal markets, normal times, right? Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of investors buying uh, what we call puts as well as calls. But when you have that phenomenon where uh, investors are buying a lot of options, that tells us that there's a lot of fear in the markets. And that's why we're seeing that uh, elevated plateau in the VIX. Kind of gotten used to it, but it's been kind of high this entire year. But let's talk about the US dollar. The mighty greenback's been beefing up a little bit lately against other currencies. It was a lot lower several months ago. Not great for US corporations. What are you seeing in the dollar? Is this a real move to a dollar strength or is it not what we think it is or what I think it is? I'm not quite sure if, uh, if it's really what we think it is. We did see a rebound in the dollar uh, against uh, a basket of other currencies recently. But what we're seeing uh, is really a a trend to the downside uh, when we look at the dollar. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of the reasons include the fact that, you know, maybe we have a slower rate of economic growth uh, or at least uh, investor expectations of economic growth in the U.S. than in other countries. Of course, we have the lower, uh, very low U.S. interest rates. And then finally, with all the stimulus efforts that are going on, we're looking at the potential for very high debt in the U.S., which would also push down the dollar. We're going to have high debt for a long time, and we're going to hear a lot more from about the dollar from U.S. corporations when they start really reporting earnings this week. James Chen, Investopedia's head of trading and investing education. So good to have you back on The Express. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Caleb. Investors have been climbing a wall of worry since the end of March as U.S. equity markets have bounced back from their losses and are reaching toward higher highs yet again. This is happening despite the uncertainty around the election, the resurgence of the virus, questions around the next round of stimulus, and about a dozen other factors that could derail the rally. How are individual investors like us supposed to navigate this environment? Well, lucky for us, we have Lindsay Bell, the chief investment strategist for Ally Invest with us this week to chart the path. Welcome to The Express, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Sentiment has clearly shifted in the market towards stocks and sectors that will benefit from a recovery. Given all the uncertainty I just mentioned and and all that I didn't even mention, does that rally, does this feel sustainable to you? 
Yeah, I mean, it has been a curious rally, especially in the month of October. We've seen some of the small caps start to rally and they've really lagged behind the S&P 500. So it's something that we definitely have our eye on. I think investors are certainly becoming more optimistic as we get closer to the election and closer to understanding how some of those uncertainties are going to play out. I think investors over the last couple of weeks are feeling a little more optimistic about stimulus the election, the concern there was that it would be contested and and traders seem to feel a little bit better about it uh, as we get closer, as Biden's lead in the polls starts to widen. So I think just in general, investors are feeling a little better about that. And I think the overall thinking too is, is that we are going to get a vaccine for the coronavirus. Eventually it's developing nicely and there has been positive headlines on that. So I think when when investors look out to 2021, it's going to be better than 2020, which was a horrific year from an earnings perspective, from an economic perspective, and all those things are now on the rebound. So that's why I think investors are feeling okay going into the end of the year. We'll get to corporate earnings in a minute, but what are you hearing from allies, customers across your platforms and the folks that call in and write in? These are individual investors. These are mom and pops and folks that are in it for usually for the long term, what are they worried about principally? They're worried about the uncertainty that's out there, but they've also taken advantage of this bear market that we had at the earlier part of the year. They really were jumping in and excited for an opportunity to get invested. That opportunity is something that they hadn't had over the past 10 years. Now they're getting a little more nervous now that we've reached new highs. And if they got in near the lows, they've made some decent profits. And the question is, where do we go from here? And I think they're starting to struggle with what are the next steps for me as an individual investor? Do I want to continue to be active like I have been over the last several months? Do I want to maybe consider becoming more passive? Or we we have an, a robo advisory business that we've seen starting to pick up in popularity in the last couple months, in the first couple months of the recession, people were kind of steering clear of that and really more interest, being more interested in the individual security side of our business. But we're starting to see that pick up a little bit more now as they think about the latter part of this year and into next year. So I think that maybe what that tells us is that, that the easy money has been made. And now we need to start thinking about our long-term goals and plans. For the individual investor, and it's all about time frame, right? If I'm you know, 55, 65, inching towards retirement or already there, then I'm thinking about preservation and making sure I have income. If you're 45 and younger, you still want that income generation. I know it depends on your time horizon and your risk level, but how do you guide the individual investor? Because the old-fashioned balanced portfolio has done well over the last 10 years, 60, 40, somewhere between 9 and 10% annual returns. But things are so different right now with interest rates at zero and going to stay there for the next few years. What's your overall guidance to the individual out there looking at this wave of uncertainty coming to us and then this hope that things are going to get better next year? I think you need to look at your whole financial picture first and foremost. I think that uh, recession that we went through earlier this year was a reminder and and the, the sell-off in the stock market was a reminder to investors that, hey, I need to have money saved up for a rainy day. We, we still have 
over 10 million people unemployed in this country. So I think you need to get your financial house in order first and foremost. But then when you think about investing, and by the way, you can save and invest at the same time. But when you think about investing, it's all about what are my goals? When do I need that money? If I need it in the next two to three years, you're going to be invested in something different than if you need it in five years or more. And that's kind of usually where I break it down is is the five-year line. If you don't need your money for five years or more, you probably want to be more invested in riskier assets like the stock market because of the returns that are coming from fixed income or bonds is so low and they're not going to be moving significantly over the coming years. You know, I don't think you entirely give up that piece of fixed income within your portfolio. I think you need it for a little bit of stability. If you look at what happened from February uh, to the depths of the low in March, if you had a 60-40 portfolio, you didn't fall as far as you did if you were entirely invested in stock. So there is a reason for that portion of your portfolio. But if you're a little bit older, you're not going to get the returns that you want and need from there. So maybe you decrease the the, the amount of uh, fixed income in your portfolio and think about increasing some of your equity, the equity portion of your portfolio. And you can do that in some some safer assets like higher dividend yielding equities and things like that. So so there's ways to, to reduce the, the risk. Also, dividend aristocrats is another area that provides good returns with lower volatility over a longer period of time. What's your favorite financial term or your favorite investing term that you go to that just fits with your whole philosophy and your whole ethos as you approach the, the markets? For me, it's the PE ratio. So the price to earnings ratio, because For me, that tells you a lot about where the market's been and where investors think the market is going. So I look at it on a forward 12-month basis. So that basically takes the S&P 500 current price divided by the forward 12-month earnings outlook. And it is high by historical standards. It's come down a little bit at about 23 and a half times is where it stands but you, you can't just look at it in a vacuum. It's nice to look at it over history, but then also take into consideration where interest rates are and inflation are because you can ha- have a higher multiple in a lower interest rate environment as well as a lower inflation environment. So I like to check in on it, see where it is. As it, When it gets really high, you have to start to wonder if the market is getting a little overbought. But when it starts to come down, like it has been, thanks to the increase in earnings and also a little bit of a pullback in the market, you know, it could be an area for opportunity. Right. It's a good way to to test the temperature of where corporate profits are and where folks expect them to be. Thank you for all this great insight, folks. Lindsay Bell, the chief investment strategist for Ally Invest. You got to subscribe to her weekly note. It's a must read every week. Follow her on Twitter, full of great insights. I see you on CNBC on the business channels as well. So we appreciate your time. Thank you for joining the Express. No problem. Thanks for having me. With a lot of people talking about the prospects of a contested election here in the U.S. this November, we thought we'd take a little walk down history lane to see when this came up before and what happened to the stock market when it did. You'd have to go all the way back to the centennial year of 1876 in the United States when Republican Rutherford B. Hayes defeated Democrat Samuel Tilden by a single electoral vote in a dispute that wasn't resolved until the eve of Hayes' inauguration in March of 1877. After months of a stalemate and rising tensions over the contested election of 1876, emissaries from the Hayes-Tilden camps met privately several times at the Wormley Hotel 
and negotiated a secret settlement in what is now called the Wormley Agreement. The secret deal came together on February 26, 1877, just a few days before the end of the Ulysses Grand Administration, but no one else was in the room when it happened. The Wormley Agreement paved the way for the end of the Reconstruction Era, providing assurances for the early withdrawal of remaining federal troops in three southern states, that was Louisiana, South Carolina, and Florida, and the right of those states to control their own affairs, according to historian Nicholas Hollis. What happened to the stock market during that period? Oh, it fell just 40% during those tense months, and it didn't recover until November of 1878. Rough year. Well, it's terminology time. Time for us to get smart on the investing and financial term you need to know this week. This week's term comes at the suggestion of listener Maxwell Tim in Cold Spring, New York, who gets a pair of classic Investopedia socks for his suggestion. You can get those too if you email or DM us on Instagram or Twitter with your term suggestion. Maxwell wanted to learn more about net interest margins. According to my favorite website, net interest margins are a measurement comparing the net interest income a financial firm or bank generates from credit products like loans and mortgages with the outgoing interest it pays holders of savings accounts and certificates of deposits. Expressed as a percentage, the net interest margin is a profitability indicator that approximates the likelihood of a bank or investing firm thriving over the long haul. Simply put, a positive net interest margin suggests that an entity or bank operates profitably while a negative figure implies investment inefficiency. So why do we care about net interest margins this week? Well, that's because big banks are reporting their earnings results, and with interest rates at or near zero, it's tough to make a profit lending money these days. We know those interest rates are going to stay low until at least 2023, so how else are the nation's biggest banks going to make money? They'll find a way, don't worry. And we'll find our way this week. We'll let Charlie Munger, the legendary investor and vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, take us out this week with his words of wisdom back in February of this year. I think we all have a lot to be modest about when we talk about economics. Stay modest, stay healthy, and stay kind. And thanks for riding with me on the Investopedia Express this week. I'm Caleb Silver, and we'll talk again next week.